Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Today is a special day historically. So um, how many of you know what today is? It's Pentecost. She actually said it at the very beginning of service, so you, you could have cheated. Um, today is the Pentecost. Now, what's interesting about Pentecost is we know what day that is. So if you think about this, Jesus, uh, Christmas is when we celebrate his birth. But Jesus' birth was not celebrated on the, by the world at the day, on the day that it first happened, right? It wasn't until later that they looked back and said, wow, this is a significant person in history. And then we based the, you know, A.D. in the calendar and before Christ and after Christ and all of those things. So Christmas Day is the day we celebrate his birth, but that's probably not historically the day he was born. Most likely he was probably born more towards the spring based on the, the weather and the things that the shepherds were doing, etc. However, Pentecost is uh, 50 days after Passover. Passover was a Jewish holiday that was celebrated then. It's still celebrated today. When we look at the calendar and we say this is Pentecost, we know that those, that many years ago, this is what happened on this day. And so that's just kind of exciting to recognize. And every year when it is Pentecost, because we know that this is a special day, um, we have a tradition. We're going to speak on Pentecost, and we're going to talk about the historical significance, and not just the historical, but the actual impact that it has on our lives today. Acts chapter 1, 3 through 8 says this, to whom he also showed himself alive, talking about Jesus, after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So Jesus, who rose from the dead, and was seen for 40 days. Now, we talked about the Passover and how the Passover coincided with Jesus' resurrection. That was not a coincidence. That was not a coincidence. How many of you remember what the Passover celebrated? The Passover celebrated when the judgment of Egypt and the the the. Uh, in Egypt, when they were coming out, that's when the Jews had put the blood over their door and the judgment came on the Egyptians but passed over those who had put the blood over their door. And we saw, oh, what a coincidence that Jesus was uh, crucified and resurrected right during that celebration. It wasn't a coincidence. This was God pointing out that this is what that was symbolizing all those years ago. So, so many years, thousands of years earlier in Egypt, when they were delivered from the curse by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus then came and delivered us from the curse 
by his blood who was the lamb. So God was setting this up. He knew when, when the Egyptians uh, and everything was happening and the plagues were going on and, and when he told the Israelites, listen, you need to take a lamb and you need to sacrifice that lamb and then you need to put its blood and wherever I see that blood, I will pass over and there will be no judgment. He was setting up the world, but especially Jews, to understand the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection and that he would be the lamb whose blood takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus died our lamb. And then the Bible says that for 40 days he was seen with the disciples. And then he, right before he ascended into heaven, said, not many days hence, you will be baptized by the Holy Ghost. God was setting this up from the beginning. And it is, it is impressive when you look at Scripture and you realize how many things God sets up in advance. He sets these things up. Prophetically in history, God was talking to the Egyptians, or the Israelites, excuse me, about baptism in the Holy Spirit long before it ever happened. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, this is, bef you know, chapter 3 of Matthew, not near the end, this is the beginning. It says, indeed, I, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is Peter talking, or Paul, uh, excuse me. This is John the Baptist. <laughs> but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost and with fire. So John the Baptist was talking about it. In Isaiah chapter 28, it says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. Back in Isaiah, he was talking about what would happen at Pentecost. To whom he said, The rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, the precept upon precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards and be broken and sneered and taken. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. In the, in the Old Testament, they were setting it up. And I had an interesting experience a few years ago where I went, uh, went on a trip to Israel. Um, but instead of being a uh, trip that was put on by a Christian organization, this was a trip put on by the, uh, a Jewish organization that wanted people to understand what was currently happening. And they took me um, to meet a group of Ethiopian Jews. How many of you realized that there were a group of Ethiopian Jews? So what's interesting about the Ethiopian Jews is they're from Ethiopia. Their, their skin color is very dark. They're, they're, they're of African descent. Um, and for thousands of years, they had been practicing Judaism, did not know that there were more Jews in the world. And it was fascinating because they were telling the story of how 
uh, just in like the, I, I didn't plan to make this example, so I didn't check out on the dates, but it was like in the 80s or 90s. I think it was in the 80s. Um, they were under extreme persecution by the leader in, in Ethiopia. And the Jews in Israel learned about this group of Jews who had been celebrating the Jewish customs for all of these years, including praying for the return to Israel. They had a holiday every year that they would celebrate and, and, and pray that God would bring them back to Israel. The, the Jews in Israel then made a deal with the leader, and he said, although it normally wasn't allowed, he said, any Jews that want to return to Israel, you can, you can take them out, and he gave them like a three-month window. And I was talking to a girl who was about 16 when this happened, and her father was a rabbi, and he would teach um, there, and they discovered the Jews came from Israel, introduced themselves to them, and said, we have come to bring you back to the, to the homeland. Having never met them before, having only three months to do that, they evacuated something like 85 to 90% of the Jews that were there living under persecution. And she said the reason that everyone trusted was because for thousands of years they had been celebrating every single year and praying for the, for the opportunity to return. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, you know, you realize God instituted that holiday thousands of years in advance so that they would be ready in this generation. And I, it, it still gives me goosebumps to realize that, that what God was setting up for thousands of years, their grandparents prayed every year, to return to Israel. Their great-great-grandparents prayed every year to be able to return to Israel. But it was this generation that benefited, and God had been setting it up for thousands of years. And it was so interesting. She said, she said when, when the Jews came from Israel and introduced themselves, we were like, how could you be Jews? You're not black. Because they, had, they honestly thought they were the only Jews left on the face of the planet. They didn't know. And, and now they're, they're, they're all over Israel. There's, there's quite a, a diverse and interesting um, population there. And to realize, when we read Scripture, God has been setting up what's going on for thousands of years. And we are are witnessing the moments that God planned for. How many of you were alive in 1948? We have people here who were alive. How many of you's parents were alive in 1948? There we go. 1948 is when Israel became a nation again. It is exciting to think about. We don't just live at any old time. We live in a time when biblical prophecy is coming to pass. God has been setting things up for thousands of years. 
And it is just now coming to pass. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are in those times. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He said, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also known. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up and giving, having loosened the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life that shall Make me full of joy with the countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried in his sepulchers with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his loins according to the flesh would rise up Christ to sit on his throne, seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption." God was setting us up. Jesus came to die, to be raised from the dead, to defeat death. He is the head of the church. He redeemed us. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And he says that there would be power that would come on us when the Holy Spirit came. What, what I think of when I read that, and Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. There is something coming. In John 20, verse 23, it says, when he breathed on him, he saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. He wanted us to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, he says, Ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Here's the question. If Jesus told the disciples to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, what does that mean to you and I? 
Acts chapter 1-8 says this, but you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So, most of the time, when someone talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they'll even add, and speaking in tongues. And a lot of us get the idea that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all about speaking in tongues. That is a part of it. But that isn't the whole thing. The Bible says you shall receive power. That word power is dunamis. It's translated miraculous strength, ability, and power. Inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, which a person or thing can exert or put forth. In, in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it is specifically referred to as the power for performing miracles. When the Bible says, and you shall receive power, it's talking about that power. In 1 Corinthians 4, 19, it's a moral power and excellence of soul. It's power and resources arising from numbers in Apocalypse 3, 8. It's, it's the word used to describe the power consisting or resting upon entire armies and forces and hosts in the Bible. That power is what God invites us to embrace. He says, you will receive power. We look at the story of Peter. Peter, who only a month earlier was too afraid to admit he even knew Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. Not in front of crowds, but in front of little groups of people. Then comes the day of Pentecost, when the 120 are gathered in an upper room, and the Holy Spirit descends on them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit and in fire, and Peter comes out. We don't even know how many people he spoke to, but we know 3,000 of them believed. That is a difference. What was the difference? The power that he had received. I think I used this example here before, but when, when I was a kid, I remember, I can still picture it in my mind, sitting in a church service in Oklahoma where the children's minister had someone come up and pretend to lay down on an operating table. And he gave the illustration that, that the Holy Spirit comes and takes the cowardice or the chicken out of you. And we were a little, he had one of those rubber chickens, and, and, and he's got this kid laying down on the, on the table, and he's got like a doctor's outfit on, and he reaches down, you know, and of course he's reaching behind the body, and he pulls out that chicken. And he says, this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes the chicken out of you. That is still like burned in my brain. Peter, who was afraid to, to own Christ, he disowned Christ. Christ three times in a small group spoke to thousands right after being baptized. The Bible says in Acts 1-8 that you will receive power when the Holy, 
uh, power after the Holy Ghost come upon you, and you will be witnesses. And it even describes, it says, what is that power for? It is to be a witness unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. You realize the very last thing that Jesus said before he was taken up into heaven was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The very last thing. I mean, how many of you guys have ever, like, gone on vacation? You leave. And, and you have someone, whatever it is, maybe they're, maybe they're house-sitting and they're watching your dog and they're watching your cat and they're watering the plants and they're doing all of those things or, 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 or whatever the case is. And the, you're about to leave and you turn around. What do you say? That one thing you hope they don't forget, right? That one thing. It's like, oh, by the way, super important. Don't forget this. That's what Jesus did. The very last thing he said before he was taken up into heaven was, oh, guess what? You're going to receive power. You're going to receive power. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached unto them. This is verse 5. And the people with one accord gave heed unto the things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out, and many that were possessed with them, and many were taken by, with palsies, and they were lame, they were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now here, here is... Here is one of the interesting aspects of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly describes the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a different event from salvation. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Right there, what is that describing? They heard God's word, they believed it, they accepted it, and they were baptized. What would we call that? That is, that is them receiving salvation and choosing water baptism. Then it says, in the very next verse, it says, Now then the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting? They had received salvation. But the apostles said, hey, if, if they are saved and, and have accepted salvation and they believe in God and they are baptized, they know what's going on. There is something else we need to make sure that they participate in. And they sent the apostles who then went down. And it said, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is it an interesting? Then it says in verse 17, it says, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, my goal as a follower of Jesus Christ is to follow 
the example that his word sets for us. Saul on his way to Damascus. You remember this story? And Saul, who was on his way to persecute the Christians, had a supernatural encounter where God spoke to him and he, as a shining light and he fell off the donkey and it says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And in verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to you on the way as you came, has sent me that thou mightst receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. This is what the Bible shows us. There is salvation, but God describes the baptism in the Holy Spirit as being a separate encounter. Paul, when he was writing to the church in 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And I don't think he was just trying to be boastful. I think he was trying to set an example. I think he wanted people to understand there is value there. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 46, it says, While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, which believed, were astonished. Those of the circumcision would be the Jews. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles, in other words, the non-Jews, also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They answered Peter. Again, they, they were in, impressed when they saw that the Holy Spirit came on them. In Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 6, it says, And it came to pass when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard that there be any Holy Ghost. Isn't it interesting that Paul recognizes they've already believed, they've already accepted salvation. And he comes to them and he says, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And he said to them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. What I want us to understand is that the baptism in the Holy Spirit isn't some obscure, singular, referenced thing somewhere in a corner verse in the New Testament. I want us to notice that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is all over the New Testament. It's referenced as a separate experience. It's referenced in the Old Testament prophecies. 
This is not something new. Four out of the five times that we see it there in the New Testament, it is articulated as being separate from salvation. He says, have you received since you believed? Acts chapter 2, the famous verse, it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. That's today. Just under 2,000 years ago, approximately A.D. 30, on this day, they were in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Bible says that the Spirit gave them utterance. It does not say that the Spirit forced them. Jesus said, you'll receive power. I want to look, before we close, at reasons we should seek the baptism in the Holy Spirit. First one, because the Bible shows it to us. When I read these scriptures and I see how much value Paul put on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I think to myself, why wouldn't I want what Paul valued? Why wouldn't I want what Jesus valued? Why wouldn't I want what the apostles valued? If it was important enough to them, why shouldn't it be important to me? The Bible says that he gave them utterance. We know that God promises the baptism in the Holy Spirit. His word says, if he gives the example. He says, hey, if you guys who are parents, if your kid asks for bread, would you give him a stone? If he asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? He says, no. How much more your heavenly father Will he not give the Holy Spirit? He, that was in direct relationship to the Holy Spirit. He says, when you ask for the Holy Spirit, do not think that God would give you something else. He promises to give you the Holy Spirit. He says, I will fulfill that. I don't worry. Somebody says to me, you know what? I prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, and I, I haven't spoken in tongues. Okay, here's, here's what I believe. First off, God promised me that he would give me the Holy Spirit. He says, no way will you receive anything else. So, if I have prayed, and the Bible gives a very simple pattern. It says that, that the believers simply laid hands on them and prayed that they would receive the Holy Spirit. And God says, he will fulfill that promise. And if someone says, man, well, I've, I think I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I haven't prayed in tongues. I say, you know what? You did receive the power. God did give you that. He didn't break his word. You have the utterance. The Holy Spirit will give you the utterance. You have to choose to pray. I encourage people, go ahead. Try it home. We don't have time today to get deep into it, but... 
I never, if someone says I haven't spoken in tongues yet, I never think, well, I guess God broke his word today. No, no. You have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here are the biblical benefits. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 says, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men but unto God, for no one understands him, howbeit the Spirit he speaks mysteries. When we pray in other tongues, the Bible describes us as speaking directly to God. One of the, a second benefit is the devil does not know what you are saying. Neither do you, but neither does the devil. And the Bible says that our spirit speaks mysteries to God. For verse 14, 2 describes that. Verse 14, verse, or chapter 14, verse 4 of 1 Corinthians. It says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church. The Bible says that speaking in tongues recharges your spirit. It says it edifies. That word, is when, when your phone is dead and you plug it in on your nightstand before you go to bed, your phone is being edified. That's the word that it's using there. We're being built up, recharged. Jude, verse 20 says, but behold Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up. Fourth reason is God wants us to. 1 Corinthians 14.5 just says, I would, or I wish, that you all spoke in tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaketh in tongues, except that he interpret the church may receive edifying. He says they're both valuable. Speaking in tongues is valuable. It edifies you. When there's prophecy, that edifies the church. Why? Because the church understands what's happening. Fifth reason is because we, when we pray in tongues, we are praying God's will. I constantly don't know what to pray about in a situation. How many of you have ever had a situation you don't know what to do? Happens to me all the time. Someone says, hey, will you pray for this? I'm like, well, I don't understand your situation. So I, I pray what I understand, and then I switch, and I just let the Spirit pray. Knowing that when I do, I'll be praying God's will. It bypasses my own understanding. Jude 20, well, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says... But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, loving, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. The Bible describes praying in other tongues as being something that keeps you in the love of God. It says praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God. That is another biblical benefit. We have a few more minutes right now, and what I would like to do is I, today being Pentecost, today being the historical day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples in the upper room, I want to invite anyone who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, according to the scriptures we saw today, is a separate and subsequent 
experience to salvation. The Bible says step one is to believe. So how many of you here believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead? Then if you have confessed that with your mouth and believe that with your heart, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, you are saved. That is step one. You don't ever have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be right with God and spend eternity in heaven with him. That's done. I don't want anyone to confuse that. But as we look in Scripture, we see over and over and over and over that the disciples referenced something else. They talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and with fire. When we invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come on us in a special and new way. Is it necessary for your sins to be forgiven? No, it's not. Is it necessary in order to be right with God? No, it's not. Is it available to you? Is it recommended by Jesus himself and all the disciples? Yes, it is. It's your call. If you desire that baptism, if you don't know that you have ever followed that scriptural admonition and invited the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to give you that opportunity today. The Bible says that it includes the utterance of the, the speaking in tongues, but that isn't the main point. That's not the main point. That's just a benefit. If you're here and you desire to follow that scriptural admonition, I would be honored to lay hands on you and declare that baptism over you. And the Bible says that you will receive it. The Bible says, Jesus said, just like a parent would never give his kid who asked for food a scorpion, God will never give you anything else but the Holy Spirit when you ask. You have his word on that. So if that's you and you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to raise your hand. And we'll do that today. All right? Fantastic. If you're willing, I want to invite you to come right down here. The rest of us, if you're, you're sitting in that seat, let's pray. Let's declare blessing over their lives. The Bible says that the believers laid hands on them and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's not a complicated ritual that's going to take a long time. The Bible simply says that they laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you finish, you know that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And with that, God promises a special power. In, in Peter's life, that was manifest in a boldness that he didn't have before. A power to witness. We see over and over that it included 
the, the power that came with miracles and supernatural. But it also included just, as, as, as my Bible school teacher told me when I was eight, he took the chicken out of them. It's just boldness, courage. And then the Bible says that it includes the utterance, that the Holy Spirit would give us utterance. I don't know if you have ever had like an, a thought or an idea come up and you almost said something, but you didn't. You ever done that? You ever had an idea? You know, hopefully it wasn't a bad example, but you know, you're like, oh man, I've been watching too many movies. Some of these ideas come. You have the utterance, but you still have control over what you say. And I like to use that as an example. The Holy Spirit isn't going to come and force you to do anything. He's not going to force you to say anything. But he'll put those words there. And when you choose to speak them, even though you don't understand them, he keeps them coming. That's what that looks like. Okay. But again, I don't want our focus to simply be on speaking in tongues. I want our focus to be in completing what God described in Scripture. Are you guys ready? Let's extend our hands forward. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for each and every one of these people. Lord, we just declare that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I speak, Jesus, come on her, Holy Spirit, come on her, baptize her in the Holy Spirit and in power, in Jesus' name. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you love him, that you love us, that you have promised this gift to us. We just speak that he would be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for why we just declare your blessing on him. I declare the baptism of the Holy Spirit on him in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are faithful and just to complete each and every one of your promises. We thank you and we declare baptism of the Holy Spirit on her in Jesus' name. 